I don't know what's collapsed harder. Fabio Quattararo or the UK government. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. And the correct answer at home, folks, is definitely Fabio Quattararo. Hey, everybody. The welcome to... <laughs> the incredible thing here is that, as we've witnessed on Wikipedia, that doesn't actually date this episode because there's now a monthly Chrysler article being written on Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. Like, they're having to update this on a near constant basis. Like, the, the, the elves at Wikipedia can't keep up. It's it's, it's amazing. Um, welcome to episode 404, the Error Not Found edition of Motorsport 101. And um, we prayed to the racing gods together as a family that Phillip Island would bring light among a very dark world of motorsport in recent times. And the racing gods answered our prayers because Phillip Island delivers. Oh, God's racetrack. Oh, yes. For the first time all year, we got a 10 out of 10 race in a, this season. Yes. Get that up, yeah. Oh, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Phillip Island is, is, is that... Oh, it's it's that wonderful, like freshly baked panini that doesn't let you down. It's 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 wonderful. This was, and I, I I'm just so happy to say it. This was a fantastic Grand Prix. It really was. This was up there with the 2015 and 2017 editions of Phillip Island. This was a fantastic race. My God, did MotoGP need this? We needed this. Oh, we all needed this. Oh, it's so good to be back here. It's so good to be back. It, and yes, for the first time in three years, MotoGP back at the island, at Phillip Island, and we got a classic. And I'm checking my notes here. It says Alex Rins won this race? Yo! Uh, huh? Suzuki aren't quite dead yet. Who would the have redacted X-Star racing team won this race. Yeah, amazing. Like, we are... We are sitting together in awe of not just this race, but literally everything to do with it. It is a wild time for all involved. Let's introduce the panel before we can get into this one. First up, Cam Buckley. How's it going, big man? Uh, it's going all right. We're back on the podium, baby. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> Mark Marquez and just dragged a Honda to its 100th top flight podium in 152 starts. Normal podium rate. Very normal. A mere 65%. Yeah. More or less two thirds. You could pluck out a Mark Marquez race at random and you'd have a two in three chance he'd be on the podium. That's, that, that's obscene. That's I was thinking, man, that star count seems a little low, and then I remembered that he basically has missed two full seasons of his career. Yeah, the good news is the overhit, the the over six and a half different winners this season, the overhit. Oh yeah, Jason reminded us that I was the only one of the four of us at the time that actually went under on the amount of different winners, and I was looking very good. <laughs> I was looking. Good when Banyaya was racking up those wins like M&M's. I was like, hmm, this is going well for me. 
Thanks a bunch, Alex. I mean, really. It's like, way to piss on my bonfire. <laughs> I'm happy for you, and I'm happy for all the hard-working folks at Suzuki who deserved a nice send-off. But god damn it, Alex. I had to go and do a, me and like a that. Flaming, and a flaming middle finger for all of the corporate bozos who cancelled this program. No kidding. Good lord. We'll get into some of that in a bit as well. But also, barbecue connoisseur, RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Now, I have a question. Will Suzuki at Star MotoGP Racing last longer than a head of lettuce? Hmm. <laughs> that is an now that does date question. this podcast. That is an excellent question. My money's on the lettuce. Still. <laughs> we, we'll see. I, I, I've got good faith that the lettuce will hold out. We'll drench it in maple syrup as a preserver. Just, just keep just, it alive. Just not in tofu. Is the lettuce going to do a postseason test to evaluate performance parts that are never going to go into the program? I don't know. Okay, we've already got the money set aside. <laughs> oh, dear. So that's our panel. That's Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connell. I'm Dre Harrison. I forgot to say that at the stop of the show, but who cares? Um, I'm Dre Harrison. We'll get into the Australian Grand Prix. We'll be talking all about one of the most manic MotoGP races in recent memory. We'll be talking about, well, Fabio Quattararo maybe putting the final nail in his championship defense um, after crashing on um, early on in this race and basically almost gift-wrapping Banyaya the title. We'll get into some of that as well. Um, and unfortunately, we're going to talk more about some of the darker side of bike racing on on obviously the back of some horrible news in the World Supersport 300 Championship over the tragic passing of Victor Steeman, which you probably heard about last week. We did mention it briefly, but uh, we didn't feel it was appropriate to get it in on a Formula One show. But uh, we will talk about that in a bit more detail here. But uh, places you can find us in the meantime, we're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. If you have to follow our personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, and at CBuckley917. Um, you can check out the website, motorsport101.com, uh, if you want to get a written version of, of, uh, of what we thought of uh, this race in Australia. Spoiler, it was good. It was very good. And all our other revised reviews on there and all that content in general is all up on there as well. You can check that out. And of course, if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of these episodes live as they go out. Um, actually, no, they, they get early access. They get 24 hours early. If you get to the $10 level, that's a supporters general. So you can get into our secret recordings of this show. Riverside, which I think Jason and James are both doing right now. So I hope you guys are enjoying the show, which is yeah, it's 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 so late. It's actually like morning in Australia. Um, because that that's 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 us catering to the world right there. If, if I do say so myself, it's eleven forty-five p.m. UK time. But who cares, right? Right. All of that out of the way. Let's get into MotoGP's Australian Grand Prix. Out of the final corner they go then, and it's Alex Rins. An unforgettable victory on course here, maybe for the factory Suzuki man. It's going to be about the swing to the finish line, and it's going to be Rins wins in Australia. An absolute classic Philip Island MotoGP battle. Suzuki do get one more taste of glory in the 2022 MotoGP World Championship. 
What a race. What a final lap. Alex Fins takes the checkered flag by just under two tenths of a second from Marc Marquez. Awesome job by Marc Marquez. That is his 100th MotoGP podium. We did not try and deceive you, swindle you, or bamboozle you in any way. Alex Rins, Suzuki rider, huh? 10th on the grid, mm -hmm. marched his way through one of the tightest leading groups in MotoGP history to win the Australian Grand Prix after passing Francesco Bagnaia at the Melbourne Loop on the final lap. Mark Marquez, who qualified on the front row, would follow Alex Rins through to, his, to finish second, for his 100th Grand Prix podium with the new championship leader, Pekka Benyaya third after Fabio Quartararo crashed out at the halfway point. I don't know if we want to, we don't really do blow by blow reviews because I don't know if we could do this justice, but wow, what a race. Go out and watch if you can. You got video pass, go out and watch it. You got less than legal means of watching this on the video pass, go out and watch it. All you can get is highlights, go out and watch those too. But, State of play, gentlemen. Francesco Bagnaia leads Fabio Cordero by 14 points. Alicia Spargaro and Anea Bastianiti are still mathematically eligible, but they are hanging by a thread. So let's get into it. Dre, what was the most impressive performance and what was, as you said, the first 10 out of 10 race of our MotoGP season? God, where do you start? Um... I, I think let's start with the fact we had a leading group of seven finish within eight tenths of a second going over the line. Closest ever. The, like, this is the first time in the history of Grand Prix motorcycle racing that seven bikes crossed the line within a second. Absolutely incredible spectacle to see, you know, the podium of Rins, Marquez, Banyaya, both VR46 Ducatis of Luca Marini and new rookie of the year, Marco Bezzecchi. Um, congrats to him. Um, Jorge Martin was in that leading group as well. And the, the, the new all-time lap record holder, may I add. Like Jorge Lorenzo's 2013 lap record finally fell. One of the oldest lap records in the book uh, on the MotoGP calendar. And Jorge Martin broke it. He could only manage seventh. Jorge Martin was 0.884 off the win. He finished seventh. Seventh. Uh, this is some all you need to know about the, uh, really, really the second half of this race. It was, I did enjoy the strategy during the race. If not, if you weren't on a Ducati, you better go as far as your bike will take you before you get to that main straight. Yeah, it's, and we got to talk a little bit about Mark Marquez. I mean, Marquez, <clears throat> how does he keep doing this? Marquez, He's only been back for three rounds. He's finished second here with a soft rear tire on one of the highest tire wear tracks we go to on the calendar. Remember, Phillip Island's surface is diamond cut. It's a tire shredder, especially on one side. The left-hand side gets shredded round here. Um, Mark Marquez was on a soft rear. Everybody else, I believe, was on the hard. Harder, medium. No one touched the soft tire on either end of the bike besides Mark. I saw some of the post-race interviews. Marco Bezzecchi described what Mark Marquez did as, quote, 
impossible. <laughs> Eventually, it, it just it just makes the impossible possible on a regular basis. I mean, like, it just might be him. The, the the soft tire was a complete no go. It like it was. This was no one else had even considered it, and apparently it was Mark's call. He he said to Honda, "Look, do you trust me?" <laughs> and Honda was like, "Yes," and he was like, "Let me put the softer ear on." And apparently went against Honda's recommendation, put the softer ear on, and Mark was betting that the race pace itself would be slower so they could try and keep the soft tire intact. And it worked. Just. But it worked. The race pace was slower because it was a tire management race in the middle period. And that's what enabled Marquez to save that rear tire enough to have an all-out assault at the end of the race. And very nearly won. He was only a, he was only point one off the win going over the line. Marquez was getting real sick of Alex Rins beating him by a nose in tight races. But... Um, <laughs> I don't know how Mark keeps doing this. It's uh, the all new arrow on the Honda this weekend. And I mean, all new from the front of the fairing all the way to the back did seem to be a step, but I mean, I don't know, man. Like, if his arm was not 34 degrees out of rotation to start this season. He could have won this championship, basically finishing third or fourth every weekend. Yeah, because everybody else in this field is beating each other up so hard. I mean, look, we are, what, 18 races into this season, and Banya has only got 233 points. It's going to be one of the lowest point-scoring tallies of the modern age. It's going to be a hard-fought championship. Yeah, it's... it's, The title winner has a good chance of having less than maybe 270 points. Like, this, in, in, in one of the longest MotoGP seasons we've ever had. It's been the the spread has been that immense across the field that you know. Let's put it to you this way: when Lorenzo dominated in twenty ten, he had three hundred and eighty. For perspective's sake, he didn't finish a race lower than fourth that season. Then he had three hundred and eighty points. Banai's got two thirty three after eighteen rounds. That's how it's much this field has beaten each other up over, over the course of this season. Beating themselves up. Yeah, because uh, as we'll get into in the future, there's just so many points that have been left on the table. But to talk about our race winner for a moment, sure. yeah. Alex Rins cut through this field like a hot knife through butter. He was passing bikes with abandon, mm. and he he put as as I mentioned earlier with the strategy of this race being get the Ducati in the corners and then run as far as you can. He was passing up through the openings, basically through the first sector of the track on both sides of people in any corner if he pleased. It's just astonishing to think that Alex Rins, who can do this after Suzuki announced that they were shutting up shop, like... There was a there was a non-zero chance that we were talking about like Alex Rins potentially out of the sport, and then we had to settle for Alex Rins on a satellite Honda next year. I think he's got a point to prove. I think everyone in that team has proved a point to the again bozos in the boardroom who shut up shop of what has consistently been a very promising program that 
those corporate bozos have refused to fund in the way that uh, the teams around them have been. Yeah. This team looked looked dead in the water two or three races ago. They were barely capable. They were barely capable of points, but on their day, they can produce this. Let's not forget. This is a program that has produced a world champion, multiple top threes with Alex Rins in the past. And, you know, half a dozen wins at the highest level. That world champion, by the way, finished 18th. Yeah, had a Not tire good. pressure problem on the grid. Suzuki fucked up. Apparently it made Mir's bike unrideable. Ugh. But uh, you know, the, the, the duality of Suzuki and the pickle that they're in. You know, They're having a postseason test. God knows why. Postseason test you know, to test new parts for a 2023 bike that does not exist. Apparently, if you've got a budget, you've got to spend it, right? Right? right. Waste it, not, waste on one not, right? Dude, it's, it's just so stupid. Yeah, This is just, that was just some brilliant stuff from Alex Rins, who, as of, as of this moment, still has all of Suzuki's podiums in 2022. Uh... Big day in the championship for Francesco Bagnaia. You know, he needed to arrest somewhat of a free fall after, after Bategi. He's got two straight podiums. He now leads the points because Fabio Cartararo had a bad, bad day. First, he went off at the hairpin, and then he fell. Um, he's only 14 points back with two races left. But, Dre, is this it? for Fabio Cartararo's title push. Before I go into that, let me point out one very telling statistic. No one in the history of Grand Prix motorcycle racing has ever come back from 91 points down to lead the championship. Not one. This is this is the greatest comeback in MotoGP history. Fact. This has never happened before. Eight rounds ago, Ban Banyaya had crashed in Germany, Quadraro run at a canter, and we thought Banyaya's title hopes were dead. Dead That's in right. the water. That's right. Fabio Quadraro had uh had a healthy uh, 34 point lead over Alicia Spargaro. Third place was Johan Zarco. Fifth was Brad Bender. Hmm. Brad like, Bender, the doing the Lord's work again. Yeah, this um, was, yeah, this was the greatest comeback in MotoGP history. But uh, on the same token, we could also say Fabio Quadraro has is at least partly responsible for the greatest collapse this sport has ever seen. If you don't pull it two together, this has two rounds. This 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 could potentially be two and three years and. Had Pecco not been an inconsistent mess, pretty much all of last season, where he, again, the ultimate winner DNF rider, mm. Fabio was throwing away points last year. And let's not forget, Banyaya has not won in four rounds. He lost one, one of those, he crashed. Home. Yeah, one of those, he crashed, and it hasn't mattered. He, he's, a, a, he's now one to nine to win the championship. It's not been a it's not been a clean run for either guy. No. Um, if anything, Pecco is doing this in spite of the fact that he is his own greatest enemy. He's either going to get you a podium or he's going to crash and walk away with nothing. Right. Look, this has been the thing is right. This is what 
and I like I I do to some degree have a level of sympathy for Fabio because this is not all on him. Yamaha has a lot to answer for with the way its bike is at the moment. Mm-hmm. However, somewhere along the line, Fabio needed to look at the mirror when he had this ninety-plus point advantage on Banyaya, who we all know is capable of incredible things on a bike, but also incredible errors, and said, all I've got to do is mitigate this all the way down the line. You had plenty of points to play with, right? Even going into this round in Phillip Island, when the gap was only, what, 10, right? Mm -hmm. Like, all he had to do was stay with that leading group, and at worst, he finishes eighth. That's still... Eight precious points. It's 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 softening the blow, especially with again, Benyaya did. Benyaya had a chance to win this race, didn't. Basically, basically chewed up his front tire a little bit of the the classic Ducati uh, fault earlier this season. But you look at Assen, and you look at this. What did Mark do in 2016 when the Honda was up a creek without a paddle? against a far superior Yamaha and arguably a superior Ducati. It was a superior Yamaha. It was an infinitely superior Yamaha. But what did Mark do? Clinch the championship around early because uh, Lorenzo and Rossi just kept beating each other over the head. He stopped crashing. Yeah. That's it. He he got into his head to take the points where he could get them. Yeah. Not go over the limit to try and win. Even in Australia... Quadraro was not in panic mode. He's stronger in Sepang. All he had to do was, at worst, take an eighth place, get eight more points on the board, bring it home. You only lose eight rather than losing the 16 you lost here, and it could have easily been more. Banyai did not manage that race as well as he could have done. But let's not beat around the bush here. Quadraro overrode his bike at Phillip Island to the point where he's crashed it. And now, because he's chasing Manny, I mean, he's 14 points down with only 50 left. He now has to go over the limit because... He doesn't, he doesn't have an option. When's yeah. the last time on, on the road that he outscored Banyaya? On the road? Yeah. I think you'd have to go back... You'd have to go back to Germany. I don't even think you... Sorry, it's, Japan. You have to go back to Portugal. No, you got to go back to Japan, because that's where Banyai binned it in, yeah, in, in but, Japan. Yeah, but Banyai wasn't on the road. Talk about yeah. on pace, the two of them finished. When's the last time he, he beat Paco? It's Portugal. Portugal. When Portugal won, and Banyai finished eighth. Eighth. Yeah. There is... There, there, he has no other option. And you can look at and you can look at Aragon. Aragon was not his fault in any way, shape, or form. No, but that was unlucky. That was just wrong place, wrong time. Caught up in someone else's mistake. He finished seventeenth in Thailand, thirty-four seconds off the win. You, you can't. You cannot do that. You cannot do that if you're in championship contention. Last four races, he's only scored in Japan, and it was eighth place. Yep. He had the option. 
he had the option, even as far back as Germany, knowing there was still like eight rounds to go. Or should I say more than that, actually, 10 rounds left. He could have nursed this Yamaha, plucked a few points here and there. Look, the Yamaha is not the top bike by any means, but no. it was still good enough to get into the top five on a weekly basis in Fabio's right. hands without taking too many risks. He's now blown it. He's now got to go over the limit to chase because he can't beat Banyaya on raw pace alone. If there is a solace for uh, Fabio Cordararo in trying to gain this back is that Yamaha did win the last time we raced in Sepang and Cordararo finished a respectable seventh in his rookie outing in the top flight. That was in 2019. And it's a very different sport since 2019. But uh, even then, at the same time, he can take solace in the fact that we're due another Peco crash because that's just it's just who he is as a rider. That's his only hope. That's his only real hope of this. I mean, Bang I could conceivably clinch the title in this he's next got, race. He's got he a reason. Yeah, he's got a reasonable shot to clinch. If he wins, Banyaya has to finish fourth. Uh, other way around. Sorry, my bad. Quadraro has to finish fourth. Yeah. Like, if Banyaya wins, Quadraro has to finish fourth or it's game over. The last time he finished higher than fourth was Austria when he got P2. Dude. Yeah. It's, none of this is looking good. And where you have to look at things with Quadraro is that. In 2019, he was getting played with, frankly, every time he would get into a, a late battle with Mark, and then Mark would just stuff him in a locker. Right. In 2020, Mark busts his arm opening round. Everyone and their mother says, all right, Quadraro's favorite for the championship. And then after the opening two rounds, spent most of the year crashing or anonymous. Didn't even finish top Yamaha in 2020. That's right. It was Franco Morbidelli. God, please give us the old Franco Morbidelli back. Also what have you done with this, this imposter? Uh, uh, we, we tore his knee ligaments to pieces. And then even last year in 2021, he started bleeding points late on, but Pecco was too, again, too much winner crash out of Pecco for it to actually matter. So we've got someone who should be conceivably a three-time MotoGP world champion and the undisputed best motorcycle racer on earth right now. And instead he's probably going to stay with one championship. He could have owned this era. We, we could have been looking at a guy who's won three world titles in a row and we'd be putting him in the class of people like Lorenzo and Pedrosa already as an all-time great. And we're not. Because, don't get me wrong, again, Yamaha has a lot to answer for in this. And they have failed everybody to a degree. Yeah, Yamaha has failed Fabio Quattararo. Yeah. But Fabio Quattararo has also failed himself a bit. It's, oh, a, God, yeah. it's, a, it's a mutually... Uh... It's a mutually like toxic. I, I wouldn't say toxic, but it, like the relationship's not on like steady footing at this point. Before we move, yeah. Before we move on, uh, Alicia Spargaro and Anea Bastianini—they're pretty much long shots at this point. I think uh, Cyrus Patterson. 
Simon no, Patterson wrote no that, speed. like, you know, they have that's their championship pretty much done and dusted, and it proved that Aprilia wasn't ready for this. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's still an impressive season, but like, Alicia Spagaro has put in a phenomenal effort all year to even be this close. He has, but between his scoring, his scoring goof, and then the uh, and then the blown ECU. Uh, a couple of, what was it, Japan? Japan. Yeah. I just, they left a bunch of points on the table where they could, they should, having ridden up to their potential, probably been leading the championship at this point. At, but, at, uh, this, at this point, just Aprilia, too many. Aprilia has done too much. To, I, I, okay, LH has got to, got to take Catalina on the chin, but Aprilia overall has had too many weak rounds to give Alicia a shot. They were like, completely anonymous around Phillip Island. Yeah. Again, I'm not anonymous at Thailand, too. I and like what, what Nibastanini's done this year. I mean, I know he's been like up and down, but overall, I like what I'm seeing. And with a little bit more time, I see a future championship contender. He's, 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 he's going to be fun next year, certainly. Look, did anybody in their, in their right mind think Anaya Bastianini was going to win four races this year? Not in a month of Sundays. Not a chance. He's still raw. He's still rough around the edges, but he's a phenomenal talent. Like he is everything that everybody in that paddock said about Anea Bastianini half a decade ago turned out to be true. The man's a beast. He really is. And he once he smooths off his game, he's going to be right up there. I have no. He's, he's right up there right now. I mean, shit. And he's still needs. The problem next to him is the problem is that he's got the guy right next to him who's basically his twin. Yeah, he's like a turbocharged version of himself <laughs> in every extreme. The the crashes to the upsides, <laughs> like it's it is wild that the 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 only three guys better than Nea Bastini this year is Alicia Spagaro putting together the fuck off haters season that could have been even more than what it's ended up being, but it's still pretty phenomenal in a vacuum. Fabio Quattararo, who arguably is the best bike rider in the world, but as you know, between him and Yamaha has blown a bunch of chances. And Francesco Bagnaia, who is fulfilling the potential we all thought he had a couple of years ago. Those are the only three dudes who were better than Anaya Bastianini this year, which says a lot, quite frankly. Yeah. He'll be fine, and it, 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 we'd, we'd be remiss as well not to mention Jack Miller, who was a contender going into this race. Had his own corner named after him this year, and what did yeah. it get him? It got well, him. A, uh, it got him an LCR Honda spearing him in the side. Ugh. I, I don't know how Alex Marquez only got one long lap as a penalty for spearing Jack Miller like Roman Reigns. Into the, into the former Honda hairpin. Now the Miller corner, like it's like Jorge Lorenzo. What is it? <laughs> he was reclaiming it for his manufacturer. <laughs> Dude. My man got speared in his own corner like Jorge Lorenzo at her ref in 2013. Good Lord. Remember that one, Cam? Where they just renamed the final corner, the Lorenzo corner, and then Marquez I blocked got him. the fuck up. Oh, that's oh. brutal. Oh dear, poor Jack Miller. He was absolutely rammed. Had the wind knocked out of him. Alex Marquez, to be fair, was extremely apologetic. Um, look, he's lucky that Jack Miller is the nicest man in bike racing, 
and pretty much immediately forgave him for it. <laughs> because my man committed arguably the biggest biking sin of the entire season and only got a long lap penalty for it. I, I thought that was going to be a pit lane start because I thought Marquez was way, way over the limit on that one. But uh, yeah, you know, long lap penalty for Alex Marquez at Sepang as a result of Spear. Lucky to get away with only that. Yeah, a spear that Bill Goldberg would have been proud of. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, uh, We do need to bring it down a little bit because it's it's been a rough week. Uh, Last week in World Superbikes, World Supersport 300 rider Victor Steeman tragically passed away after a multi-bike accident at Catalonia. He was just 20 years old, 22 years old, and second in the championship at the time of his passing. And this prompted many riders to speak out about the dangers of lightweight class racing, because as you know, we are less than a year removed from a rash of terrible injuries and fatalities at the lightweight ranks of our sport. This is from John McPhee, a Boda 3 veteran, who said, this is such a sad loss and a horrible few days for our sport. At the beginning of races, I feel it's so hard to change anything, as nearly all riders fighting for the same track position. For later in the race, I feel the only way in Moto3 and Super Sport 300 to make the races safer is to make the bikes faster. I know this seems odd, but the slipstream has such a huge effect on these classes. We see groups of up to 30 riders or race leaders losing 15 positions in one straight. 8 to 10 riders going into one breaking zone can only stay safe for so long. That again was John McPhee, who's been around this level quite a bit. This is from Mika Perez, uh, the 2018 World Super Sport 300 runner-up. He said, World Super Sport 300 needs an urgent change. Those of us who have competed there know the great danger we're running. We need to reward the fastest rider with the most powerful bikes and not the most aggressive in the last lap in a group of 15 riders. I hope you listen to us, World Superbike. And this is from Maverick Vinales, whose cousin Dean Berta was a victim of a similar accident just last year. Maverick said, it's not about the age or the riders. It's about the bikes. They have no power, way like a MotoGP bike. Brakes are shit, swing arms from the street. The problem is the category. I was 13 when I rode a 125cc Grand Prix bike, and nothing happened because we're not 20 in a pack. There were only three, four, because it was more difficult. First time I tried to follow the good guys, I high-sided. So I learned a lesson. The bikes are 160 kilograms, they have no speed, they go together, and of course, if someone crashes in front of you, it's impossible to escape. It's been it's been a rough period for our sport. Um, Horrible Victor's week. Team, and I mean, there's no easy way to get into it. But I think I think lightweight racing, based on what I've heard, needs some changes. Dre. With that said, what do we need to change? Yeah. Before I get into too much detail on this. Um, it's been a horrible week in general. We lost Phil Reed last week, MotoGP Hall of Famer, um, Yamaha's first ever road racing world champion, seven-time world champion in total, arguably the greatest British bike race bike racer of all time, um, by all accounts. Um, if even like we, we we he does not need the plug, but if you've not read Matt Oxy's obituary on him, I highly recommend going out of your way to read it. It's beautifully done. 
Um, um, I highly, highly recommend it. Phil Reed is an incredible bike rider, one of the greatest of all time. 52 wins at world championship level. Just thought I'd point that one out. Only a handful of dudes have ever had more Grand Prix wins than him. Um, and on the British Superbike ladder, we lost Chrissy Rouse last week as well. Um, we, we don't cover BSB so much on this network anymore, but Chrissy Rouse was just 26. And again, not remarkable talent, you know, won the British Superstock Championship in the past in 2020. Um, was He had the moniker of the world's fastest maths teacher, um, was an inspiration to, to, to school kids and had a great podcast all based around the series as well. He was one of us, a podcaster and brethren, and was a great entertainer. And yeah, just a horrible, horrible week in bike racing. He had a horrible crash at Donington um, in the, the BSB Championship and succumbed to his injuries in hospital a couple of days later. So just wanted to use this platform and take a couple of minutes to mention them as well, as well as obviously the horrible loss of Victor Steeman. You know, he will die a hero. He, his, 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 he and his family very generously agreed to donate his organs. Um, so they will save the lives of five other people. Um, but what was doubly heartbreaking was that his mother passed away of a heart attack two days later. Um, so again, I say on behalf of everybody here, um, of course, our thoughts and prayers to the Steeman family because that is just absolutely gut wrenching on on so many levels. Um, there's never a, a good time to talk about these things, but I feel like I feel like we we have to because we want our sport to be better, and it's been an incredibly difficult year to be a bike fan on any level. And I think Cam would agree with me as a fellow yeah, hardcore I mean. bike fan that we've been very critical of the world of bikes in general in the last year. And on top of all that, we've now had the fourth fatality in a lightweight class of racing in 18 months. Four. Yeah. That's four too many as far as I'm concerned. And Victor Steeman yeah. joins Jason Dupasquier. Hugo Milan and Dean Berta Vinales. And for all the talk about how the age limits were supposed to help, Victor Stevens was 22. Yeah, the, the, the age limits were not only were they not the problem, they were uh they were an easy out that is not a solution because ultimately it doesn't matter what age you are when you're racing in one of these packs. We've talked about this at length before on the show again, mm-hmm. because this is the fourth time in the last 14 months. It doesn't matter what age you are, because if you go down in one of these packs, there's no reaction time. There is no protection for you when you come off one of those bikes. We don't have the technology for that. Nope. And if you are in, you are on the path of an oncoming bike, it's, yeah, it's in the hands of the man upstairs. Pack racing in motorcycles will never be safe. No. Period. Doesn't matter what class it is. Doesn't matter what kind of bandages you put on around that. 20 bike packs are an incredible spectacle to watch, but they are not safe. And 
what is producing these packs is the fact that these bikes are now incredibly underpowered for the kind of cornering capability that they can produce. So much like a NASCAR plate race, uh, for those of the, those of you listening from the car side of things, mm. the slipstream is so powerful. It's so necessary to generate lap time in one of these races to make any progress. You need to run in a pack yeah, it's, in, order it's, to, in order to be competitive. On the faster tracks, it's worth almost a second a lap. It's it's game-breaking. When, when the margins are so small, when the field is so closely competitive, like in Moto3 and in World Super Sport 300, where the bikes are virtually identical in terms yeah. of performance, you can't run without a toe. So, and that feeds into this vicious cycle. Where you can't get away from people. You can't get away from people. But to be fast, you've got to have another bike in front of you. Otherwise, you're vulnerable. We saw it at Catalonia last year in Moto3 when Jeremy Alcoba deliberately slowed down in the last sector of a race because he didn't want to lead on going into the final lap. That is unbelievably dangerous. And thankfully, we we got away with it that day. uh, We see it all the time when plate racing with NASCAR, but the difference is... You have about 3,400 pounds of rolling steel protecting you. Mm. Well, at least they're supposed to be protecting you, given uh, the state of NASCAR safety at the moment. But in motorcycle racing, you have your leathers and your airbags, and it's not enough. I love that me and Cam share the same brain cell, because I mentioned exactly this when I wrote about this race on the su- on the su- on Sunday morning and said, I'm not, I'm, not even the, I'm not even the biggest NASCAR fan. And I said, I'll read the, the literal paragraph I said regarding this. I said, but man, it made me nervous. This was a MotoGP version of a pack race. No one could break that 215 mile per hour toe. It reminded me of a NASCAR restrictor plate race in the 90s where one wrong move could potentially be fatal. The series where one of it, it's one of one of its biggest icons in Dale Earnhardt regularly screamed that the racing could kill someone if it wasn't checked, then he ended up being its greatest victim. And that could happen to anybody in these races. And it's it's I've said it before that the age limits were only brought in so that the sport could say that no children will contest the world championship. All was they brought done in to say, mm. and it was brought in to say, oh, well, we did something because ultimately changing the bikes is hard. You need to get people to agree to that. There is cost involved. There is, you know, people are going to need to rebuild their riding styles. Right. But it is the solution. And bandaging other solutions over this when the issues are the bikes, the lightweight bikes that they cannot get away from each other. The more bandages you put on, it's just more time for someone to die on one of these things. It's it's so frustrating because all the all the moves for 2023 have done is you're just gonna pass the buck onto the junior series where you know people aren't not many people are gonna watch them. You need to fundamentally change these bikes as soon as possible. You need more power. You need to mitigate the slipstream where you can. And yeah, like honestly, Maverick Vinales' opinion on this is the most bang-on opinion I've read about anything in motorsport this year. And he would know. 
because his family was coming up that ladder and he lost his cousin. I can't begin to imagine the frustration, the anger and the heartbreak that have been through that family for someone to lose your cousin like that because he's spot on in every capacity. I watched World Super Sport 300 from Catalonia. I watched it from the, from this last round we've just had. Like, nothing's changed. It's still leading groups of 25. It's so dangerous. Like, if one, like one wrong move and someone's going to get run over, you've got to, like, pack racing looks great on TV and it's exciting in theory, but... I'm not sure I like that style of racing if it means there's a significant chance someone could lose their life. I mean, I'll admit that, you know, Moto G Moto three has entertained us in the in the state that it is. Oh, absolutely. And we'd be hypocrites to say it hasn't. But you always have that in the back of your mind. It's the same thing with a super speedway race. And NASCAR. It's like, yeah, this is entertaining as all hell, but you know, for all the lead changes and all the close racing, it only takes one wrong move for something to go catastrophically wrong for somebody to be seriously hurt. On only a few days ago was the 11th anniversary of Dan Weldon's passing. And Dan Weldon lost his life in a race that the package was more or less customized to turn it into a pack race. And one wrong move wiped out over a dozen cars and cost him his life. It's no different than this. You could add more power. You can make the bikes maybe a little bit heavier. I mean, you could even shorten the top gear. Yeah. Jürgen van der Gerberg mentioned that last year. His son's on to races in Moto2 right now. Um, he mentioned shorten the sixth gear, take the slipstream off the table, basically, um, and let it be a game of who's fastest around the corners instead. You know? Like, because that's that's the secret. Everybody runs stupidly high sixth gears because they know their slipstreams are so powerful. They can get to 150 miles an hour on these bikes. 150. Do you know how crazy that is? On a 250cc bike with 40 horsepower. horsepower. 40. They've got they've got like 40 brake horsepower. They can, they, they can do. Let this be a let this be a reminder to everybody who feels that their first uh, bicycle should be a liter plus sports bike. No, don't make that mistake. Um, but but more has to be done than limiting grid sizes and saying kids can't race because it's not fixing the problem. Yeah, it, the band aids on a gaping head wound. You need to up the power of these bikes. You need to break up the pack racing. Let the guy with the most amount of skill win. You can't like you can't just keep having Moto Three be a lottery and have it and have the sport fix itself. Everybody is determined to win once the visor goes down. This was never a game of maturity. This is a game of the sport is fundamentally dangerous. That's what the problem is. And are, are riders employed to think about safety? Fuck no. They're employed to go out and push the limit. We've said Cam, that before. We'll say that again. Cam, they've been bred and raised to not think about the fear of failure because you have to be because they're putting children on race bikes. 
Yep. Which in any other sport would be deemed crazy. Like, I can't believe... Honestly, the sun as a newspaper is a piece of shit, and I will say it until the day I die. I can't blame them for when Hugo Milan died and having the headline that a 14-year-old kid was killed in a, in, in a, in a super sport accident. Because, because nobody, nobody likes headlines that say children are dying in motorcycle accidents. Yeah, because the, the average uneducated fan will look at that in horror. And rightly yep. so. How many times did uh, Mark get his arm broken and rebroken to get it back in the state that it is? Four times? Three, four times. And he was one of the lucky ones. That's, 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 that's the game that we're playing here. Bike racing is already inherently one of the most dangerous sports on earth. I, when I was on Twitch last week, I had a bunch of people in my chat talking to me saying, Dre, I will never watch a bike race because of how dangerous it is. And I said, look, I completely understand. I will never hold that against anybody if they think it's, it's the too much. the definition of not for everyone. And this, is, and this is just circuit racing. We right. haven't even touched motorcycle road racing, which is Oof. a whole different kettle of fish. I will never hold that against anybody ever. It's inherently one of the most dangerous sports on earth by proxy. The least it can do is have the FIM and Dorna beat their heads together, who, by the way, have all the money and resources in the world. They own the two biggest motorsport series on earth on two wheels. There is no reason why they shouldn't be throwing every penny they've got towards rider safety. That, If that is truly your number one concern, get your heads in the lab, beat your heads together, and figure out how you can make this sport safer. Because four deaths in, in your lightweight class of categories of racing in 18 months is unacceptable on any level. It's fundamentally fucked. And it shouldn't have to come down to Victor Steeman, Jason Dupasquier, Hugo Milan, or Dean Berta Vinales to be used as martyrs to get that point across. How many more is it going to take? We've had four in 18 months. Four! It's just so frustrating because it feels like we're repeating ourselves over and over again over things like this. It feels like sometimes I'm screaming at the wall when it comes to bike racing. I mean, I'm in the process of writing my season review for this season. I've dedicated an entire part two to just the shit that has been openly exposed in being a bike fan this year. And this one probably is the cherry on top. It's been a hard year, as it is. Yeah, we're not asking for an immediate solution, are we? We're asking for there to be some kind of resistance on the other end of the rope. And there just isn't. No. And their approach to this last year off the back of their three fatalities was just fundamentally incorrect. Like, it's just... It's like they beat their heads together and figured out what's the easiest thing that we can do to so we can say we did something. Damage that's just, control. That's, and that's not acceptable on in the top flight of motorsport. There is not. no... Cam, there is no damage control for death. No. No, there, there really fucking isn't, is there? What those adjustments were was damage control because you could still be 15 and ride in the Asia Talent Cup next year on the exact same bikes that you'll race at world championship level. So what's the fucking point? 
We're back where we started. You've changed nothing. All you've done is that you've made the potential fatalities in your top flights on TV older. As if that makes a fucking difference. As I said, Victor Steeman was 22. What now? He was 22 and he was second in your championship when he the was only killed. Thing, the only thing you changed was the year gap on the headstone. Something needs to give, man. And it can't be another rider's body. It can't no. be another rider's life. It, you need to do more. This is not good enough. And it feels incredibly frustrating to mention this again, less than a year after Dean Berti Vignales is passing. And it's such a shame because it was on the weekend of the best bike race we've had in 2022. It's just, it's one of those things that makes me second guess myself as a bike fan. And if again, if you go on the website and read my review of the race, I talk about it at the start. Because I just say, sometimes being a bike fan gives me an existential crisis. Purely because something can be so great, and yet it can come at such dreadful cost that if sometimes I sit down and I wonder, is it even worth it me watching this? Is this too much? And I've been a bike fan for 20 plus years, and it doesn't it doesn't get any easier. If anything, this year has made it harder. And it makes me sad that this year has made it harder. More needs to be done. This is not good enough. And yeah, then I'm going to call it a podcast on that. But uh, yeah, MotoGP is back this weekend at Sepang the penultimate round. Uh, it could be a clincher for Francesco Bagnaia. He's got a very good chance of it being just that, but I'll have to wait and see on that one. We'll be a doubleheader next week because we've also got Formula 1 at the Circuit of the Americas. RJ will be down there, so go say hi um, if, you, if you spot him down That's there. Star, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm already there. Yeah, go say hi. Um, you know, he's, he's a good lad. He doesn't bite, honest. Um, you can check that out then. You know where you can find us. But uh yeah, until next time, I've been Dre Harrison, they've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. Rest in peace, Victor Steeman, Phil Reed, and Chrissy Rouse. Good night.